Picture this. The journey ahead starts here together, and together we can build a brighter future. You are listening to Illuminating Hope, a podcast of Hope House. Welcome to Illuminating Hope. I'm your host, Tina Johnson, Manager of Community Partnerships, alongside my co-host, Marianne Matheny, CEO of Hope House. Please help me welcome Andy Bond and Matt Krentz, the founders of Bestie B&B. Andy, trained as an attorney and an entrepreneur by nature, left a legal career in private practice at a top-ranked national law firm to help co-found a technology startup building enterprise software for the entertainment industry. Driven by Bestie B&B's mission to help people and pets stay safe, connected, and together. Andy enjoys the creativity required to face and solve challenges large and small. Matt's creativity has always been at the heart of his business affairs. Matt's artistic and creative endeavors lay the foundation for his recent entrepreneurial endeavors and success. Matt's latest startup, Bestie B&B, helps domestic violence agencies, mental health organizations, homeless services, and animal welfare organizations secure safe, temporary foster homes for clients' pets during their time of crisis so they can and will seek life-saving services while maintaining that vital and powerful human-animal bond. The platform has been launched to help millions of children, abuse survivors, mental health patients, and their pets. Welcome, Andy and Matt, to Illuminating Hope Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to start with you, Andy. Tell me about the conviction behind what you do and why you left your career to open Bestie B&B. Thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about that because it is important to, uh, for us to be able to tell that story because it is you know it, it kind of gives an idea of what drives Matt and I. And, and it really starts when we first met back in college. Uh, we both went to Rockhurst uh, College at that time, Rockhurst University now. Matt's originally from St. Louis. I grew up just down the road from, uh, from where we sit right now. And... Uh, you know, we got to campus that first week and um, really just became fast friends, came from kind of different backgrounds, were studying different things, but we really just connected and, and spent a lot of time together and just trying to support each other in different uh, the different walks that we took after that. You know, we left Rockhurst. Matt went to work for Robert Redford at the Sundance Institute. He's a, a filmmaker and a writer and a creator. Tough job, huh? <laughs> it, was, it was very, very tough. I saw how hard he worked um, up close and personal because when he wasn't in Utah or California at the labs working in film and technology, working his way up to art director and running the art department. He commuted from St. Louis when the labs weren't in session, and I was attending St. Louis University, earned a law degree from the law school there, and we lived together in, in St. Louis. And so he would always, you know, be there and just writing scripts and doing all this work. And so while he took a much more creative route than I did, uh, I think it was also a more difficult one uh, as well. But then he was always a big support to me. He would watch my my dog had a, a German short hair that was in his German short hair are typically not well behaved all the time 
Uh, so Matt would watch him while I was in, in the law library or, or in class. And uh, and so that was it. He was a big supporter of mine when I left St. Louis, came back here to, to start my private practice career. I tried to, to help and support him in his film career, never thinking that we would have an opportunity to work together in any professional capacity until 2013 rolled around. And I was looking to leave private practice to do something a little more creative, had an opportunity to join a startup that was building a very large piece of software for the entertainment industry. And I knew if we were going to go into that industry, we needed an expert. So I called Matt. Uh, what a nice connection. Yeah, yeah, it was. I really, I had a kind of a list. I said, here's what we're doing. Here's the role that, that we need. You know anybody. And what it was, was a description of him just without using his name. I didn't want to presume that he would be up for it. But he said, in, in all candor, he said, if you're getting ready to do something in the entertainment industry, I would run far and fast in the other direction. But <laughs> if you're putting the team together, I'm in. So he moved uh, his family and put his house on the market within the next three weeks and we spent six and a half years building that platform and that's really where we learned to build very very large pieces of software that had to not only be ultra secure because of the type of information that we were dealing with with our studio clients but it also had to be very very user friendly because the other piece for the the onset filmmakers those folks were working way too hard they were overworked and underpaid as a lot of people are and you know in the agencies that we work with now but they weren't going to take the time to learn a new piece of software or a new anything if it didn't immediately just fit right into their workday. And so that really became important when we were building Bestie B&B. And so we stepped away from that company after the platform was acquired by a group in Southern California. We quickly decided we wanted to do something else. We just didn't know what that was going to be. We knew that we liked building new things and we knew we liked doing that together. We were kicking around a, a few different ideas and then Matt called me one day and that's when it all clicked. He was driving, listening to Steve Kraske's show on KCUR and being interviewed on that episode was a person that was the director of housing and director of grants at Safe Home, mm-hmm. another domestic violence agency here in Bolton on the Kansas side. And they were just talking about the biggest barriers that they faced. And it was when they said that when 50% of people that call their hotline find out that they can't bring their pet, they hang up the phone and choose to stay in that abusive and life-threatening environment. And that's when we had that moment. I had never heard of that before. Matt had never heard of that before. We didn't know it was a thing. You know, he had family in, in St. Louis that were big supporters and volunteers and, and financial supporters of domestic violence agencies, but we didn't know that that was a, an issue. And so it just made complete sense to us. And we really, we listened to the rest of the, the episode and we're talking and Matt finally just said, you know, I, I think if we came at this from a, the lens of technology helping to support agencies, maybe we could, we could help be a part of the solution. And I agreed. And so drove out to his house out in Lee Summit that afternoon and we started kicking around ideas and started creating a storyboard much like Matt would for a, a film project so we could just show that journey of all the way from the hotline call how we envisioned the platform working all the way through to reunification and we felt like we were on to something at that point we really thought that there was something there but we also knew that it didn't really matter what we thought it mattered what the people that were advocating at these agencies and advocating for these survivors thought and so that's when we started the journey of really educating ourselves on what that needed to, to look like. And and it's even more than just domestic violence. So I want to start with the barriers of mental health, that piece of your business. Yeah, and absolutely. the Ronald McDonald House, those yeah. kind of things.
things. We approach this solution from the lens and the statistics we learned about barriers for domestic violence agencies. And in spending a year meeting with agencies across the country, we met with leadership at six domestic violence agencies in Southern California, spoke with leadership and case advocates here just on the Kansas side, the Missouri side. A good friend of mine runs the oldest women's services agency in the state of Illinois. And we went and toured her facility and sat there and just listened to the stories. So along that journey, talking with a lot of very passionate people who work in the social services industry and people who work in animal welfare, we started hearing more stories about pets presenting barriers in the mental health sector for the houseless and unsheltered and just for families and individuals in a medical crisis. So taking all of that into an account when we were building the platform, when we were putting our wireframes and essentially building the blueprint. We wanted to make sure that we could create a hub, essentially a foster network that allowed foster homes in the community to assist all of our social service agencies to create kind of a first of its kind hub of foster homes to really help people keep people and pets together, preserving that human-animal bond, making sure that oftentimes someone's sole source of comfort is their pet. You know, that pet's not going to pass judgment on them. It's going to be there to support them, greet them when they walk in the door. And I think just as Andy and I were not aware of these barriers, I think a lot of the general public is unaware. But everyone can relate to not wanting to lose that companion or having to own or surrender that pet. Uh, Oftentimes people might not be able to relate to someone experiencing intimate partner violence or mental health crisis. Oftentimes, many people, now that we've openly started having conversations through the lens of a pet, start sharing stories. So more and more people are sharing the fact that if they haven't experienced it, they know someone close to them who's experienced it. So it starts a conversation and it also allows the community to get involved and be a part of the solution where, unfortunately, building a brick and mortar animal shelter attached to a social service agency is is just not an option in most cases. In some cases, it is. And we wanted to make sure our software work to help those agencies as well. I think that's one of the things, you know, when we first started talking, not only do people not want to leave their pet because of that bond, but often that pet's in danger if it's left with the abuser and the the person who's being abused leaves. So that is often the driving force as well, knowing that threats have come. It continues to be about life and death in a lot of circumstances as well. But I think what you just said about the brick and mortar is really what's so key. You know, Hope House has been providing services for 40 years. We're in our 40th anniversary, and we've always been able to have pets on site, but only a minimal amount because of our space, and we really don't have and have continued to not have the resources to build on site. So this has been just really a nice extension of what we've been doing. We're able to do a little bit more now because of some of the changes in our services, but having those options is really nice. It's really nice to be able to, you know, if they aren't able to bring them in, that there is more than one option then for them and not leaving them in the hands of the abuser is no longer their only option. So I think that's wonderful. And I just, I guess I'm curious to hear, was this originally your first idea or did it morph into this as you went along and as you talked to more and more people? It started as, you know, when we were evaluating different opportunities across, you know, various business sectors, this just gravitated to 
towards us. I mean, it was literally that NPR episode where we decided we are going to spend and dedicate 100% of our time towards this, specifically after we contacted Safe Home, took a tour of the facility, met with leadership there, and the director of housing and grants who was being interviewed that day. And and ultimately, when we went and you know visited the children's playroom and just saw that infants up to the oldest kid they allowed in shelter uh, being present in this tiny room, knowing 70% of them likely had a pet that was their sole source of comfort that was left behind. You brought up an interesting fact. Yeah, I mean, if just north of 70% of those pets left behind are abused or killed in retaliation and ultimately used as a bargaining and a bargaining yes. chip. And it's just, it's really sad. That's when we were able to then start building in our minds a solution for domestic violence agencies. And where it got very interesting is when we realized that these same barriers existed in other social service agencies. Because even if you don't understand, and I think you guys are typical of people who aren't exposed to domestic violence on a daily basis, you just don't know mm-hmm. all that there is to know, and there's no reason that you would. But I think that people really are able to wrap their heads around, we don't want animals to be abused, and, and understanding how animals can be that key to somebody really being their life-saving event, being that animal. Whether it's mental health issues, whether it's domestic violence, we are known for how much we love our animals. So I think you've, you really have hit on something that can really open the door to the conversation and people can connect around it because they understand the love of a pet. Yeah, and that was really important to us because you're right, we didn't come from this in our original backgrounds. We felt it was really important to educate ourselves. And then we also felt it important to try to empower the direct service providers. Since we are not a direct service provider, you all, Hope House, is the pioneering expert in that work. And so we wanted to just be there to support. It was really inspiring for us to meet with agencies like Hope House and others who were figuring out a way. You know, you said you've always been able to accommodate pets even though it wasn't at the scale maybe that you had wanted to or hoped, but you found a way to do it for as many folks as you could and look for ways to expand that. And that was something that was driving for us. We were building this to not only work for an agency that had no prior experience or ability to have any type of pet advocacy program. We wanted to enable it where it didn't exist, but just as importantly, we wanted to enhance it where it did and just be another option. So in that instance that you have, you're at capacity for the animals that you could co-shelter or you have a client or an animal that maybe needs a break for a couple of weeks or whatever the case might be or an animal that just isn't adapting well to co-sheltering and and so maybe that pet needs to just go be an only child somewhere somebody's home and that's was something that was really inspiring and continues to drive us in terms of just offer more opportunities and more solutions for more of our agency partners who are doing the groundwork every day. Can you talk about what your platform is and, and how it works? Yeah absolutely it's a little bit bit of a hybrid. If you were a person just navigated to our website and went to bestiebnb.com, they aren't going to see any of the tools that we built for our agency partners. So all of the the suite of tools that helps enable pet advocacy and and crisis care and safety net programming for our agency partners is secure. So it's not accessible to the general public. So we've created tools that help agencies manage their clients and their intakes, manage their pet profiles. And then once they have that created and they know what that pet's profile is, is because they're working with the client to figure out has this pet experienced trauma or its vaccines up to date. All of those things kind of get a picture and then they can go look through our pet caregiver foster home network and and we can get into a little bit of what that looks like and what those types of options those folks have to help. But then it just becomes very much like finding a place on Airbnb or something like that. You're looking through 
you can filter down to very specific levels. You're looking for a specific type of animal that needs a specific type of support in a specific type of environment. You can really narrow that down. So you're looking at someone. We really want to provide our agencies and our foster caregivers to be able to have the best match possible. Once you see a profile that you like, you make a request. You can start confidentially and securely communicating regarding that. And then one of the things that we're most proud to be able to offer is we do have secure confidential logins for the clients of our agency partners. So while they never know the identity or the location of the person that's caring for their pet and vice versa, that pet caregiver knows never knows the client's identity or location, they can communicate to keep that client engaged in the care of their pet, receive picture and video updates. You know, one of the big things, this just not long ago, you know, over the summer, 4th of July and fireworks are a big issue. So being able to say, hey, how does Lucky do with fireworks or anything I need, need to know? Or Mabel's not sleeping really well. Is there something that you usually do on that? So it really keeps them involved and engaged. And all of that is ultra secure, confidential, protects everyone's identity and anonymity just for security purposes, but it also allows them to stay connected. And that's one of the reasons that you know we've seen a 100% return to owner rate so far. We, we know that eventually that won't always be the case. There will be an instance where reuniting that pet with that client just isn't going to be possible or feasible. But right now in over 2,500 safe nights, we've been able to, to keep that return to owner rate at 100%. And a large part of that is because it's just another thing that those clients can stay engaged with. And survivors and other people receiving services they figure out ways. They're, they're very resilient. They strive to be reunited with that pet, and we just try to give them tools to keep that in their daily lives day to day. I think our listening public will be very surprised to know that animal abuse, especially in a domestic violence power and control relationship, sometimes that animal is abused for the simple fact that the abuser doesn't want the survivor to get any kind of affection, any kind of positive stories that you've heard come out of what you do every day. First one that jumps to mind is just this summer, and it was uh, you know not to get into any of the client-specific details, but they were in right. a situation and they asked that the case manager that they were working with asked them to relay to us just how thankful they were to have that communication piece with the caregiver being able to stay involved in their pet's daily life and getting picture and video updates and just said we created something where my wife sends me a picture of one of the kids and I save it to my camera roll. I can scroll through that and look at it anytime I want, but not everyone has that opportunity or, or has easy access to that. So we've created a gallery that they can save it. And when they're logged in through their secure portal and Bestie b they can go to that picture gallery. And they just said having that to scroll through at the end of the day really often was the highlight and what got me through a couple of tough, really tough times. And it, it was bringing happy tears to my eyes instead of sad tears to my eyes. And would you please just pass that along? And having that, it really, you know, not that we needed to be re-energized, it just really brought it to life that this is, okay, we spent so much time an effort to build this platform and sometimes you can get really really hyper focused on the, making sure that new features are being added or we're focused on the technology but hearing how that technology positively impacted someone to the point where they, they didn't have to go out of their way to say hey could you pass this along to these people if you ever get to talk to them but they did and so those are the types of things that really are, are rewarding and drive us to want to do more. I think one of the things that's important to highlight is the effort that you went to which you went to a lot of effort to make sure that this was secure and that you really paid attention to the safety piece of that. And I think that just
just to be able to talk a little bit about that and, and to ensure that abusers are not going to have access to their animals and, and giving that comfort to the survivor knowing that their animal is going to be safe. Do you want to talk about maybe what some of those things that you had to consider when you were working through those? Yeah, we definitely had to consider. Again, this is where you know, we were fortunate that so many people took the time who work at domestic violence agencies, case managers, and advocates to sit down with us and talk about specifically meeting with organizations that have had the ability at one point in time to house pets or run their own kind of ad hoc shelter foster program. And it became essential and vital that the survivor did not know the name or location of the foster home. And for confidentiality reasons, you know, the foster home could never know the, the identity of the survivor. And I think ultimately, as they dug deeper into that, just from a safety reason, in the instance that the survivor does meet the foster home and everything went well, and then the survivor gets her pet back, all of a sudden feels like they then decided for whatever reason to go back to the abuser and then share the story. You know, some of the statistics, and, and you could speak better to this, I've learned, which again was also something very new to me, that someone might go back four or five times. Mm-hmm. And so hear that from a technology standpoint, you want to make sure, okay, we have to create a way for there to be communication, but then it has to be confidential and secure. That's a big part of our training. In the technology, there's a code of conduct. There's also visibility that a case manager has oversight into all the conversations taking place and can cut off access if there's a breach of that code of conduct. For this to be successful and to work to really help people and for foster homes to feel safe and secure, all they can ever see or or look at is that pet's profile to make sure it's the right fit for their house. I mean, that, that was a huge part of it. I mean, that was a huge part of the time and cost and effort was creating the technology and testing it in a way. At one point, we had an iteration of the software that included the initials. And all of a sudden, it was like, no, we can't have any identifying information. So we went back and said, well, we're going to update that and change it. Ultimately, it has to work how our agency partners need it to work and to make sure there's absolutely no one at risk. And for our mental health providers, I mean, you know, we're a HIPAA compliant piece of software because we just have to make sure that those patients' rights are respected and that at no point in time is anything about their situation shared with anyone else. And I think not just thinking about the people who are coming into providing that the fostering of the animal, their safety is just as important as well. And if it were to be found out where the animal was, then those people would be at risk. Anyone expressed any kind of fear or concern about their safety? We haven't yet, and I'm glad you brought that part of the equation up because it is a vital piece of our platform. And, and so we spent a lot of time and, and effort looking at it from their perspective as well, making sure that they're protected, that the technology enhances some of those protections. And also, a lot of it is just training and making sure that they understand what it means to take care of a survivor's pet, and a pet that has almost certainly also experienced its own trauma, whether it was physical yes. or, or uh, mental or emotional, and all of those things. So training and education is a big piece of that, and that's something that is living and breathing and ongoing in our platform. We also want to make sure that we're attracting and vetting the the right type of foster pet caregiver right, in our right. platform. So it is not something where you just come in and you enter your, your email address and a phone number and that gets validated and boom, you're a pet caregiver. There's a five-step process that you go through that we and we do all of that work so our agency partners don't have to. But that is telling us about themselves and their experience, what their home environment is like, what their home 
work life is like, how much time they can spend with pets, what type of pets they want to care for and are qualified to care for, if they have any veterinary training, if they're a veterinarian, if they're a vet tech, or have worked in the industry. All of those types of things, providing references that we check. important piece is there's also a background check that they go through. And so a lot of that is really geared towards the folks who want to get in and help these pets and help these people are going to go through that. You know, we were talking before we started recording about kids' involvements and everything. I feel like I do a background check like three or four times every season. But going through that enables us to make sure that somebody isn't trying to get in to gain the system so that there's not an abuser out there that's just trying to get into the platform to find their pet or that survivor. And so that allows us to get very detailed, making sure that there's absolutely no history of abuse of a pet or a person in that person's background going back several years across every jurisdiction in which they've lived over that time span just to really make sure that there's no, you know, anytime you're dealing with this, there are certain risks that can't be reduced to zero, but we feel like we have all of these steps in place that get you close as, as possible as you can get to 0% chance that the wrong person gets in there. And then there's tons of oversight to make sure that we're monitoring that. It's not just you're in and then you're never monitored again. You know, it's, it's something, again, that's living and breathing that we want to make sure that everybody is comfortable in knowing that our platform is safe and secure and that all parties are in there for the right reason, the agency, the survivor, or the client, and the pet caregiver themselves. People who listen to this that are in an abusive situation and they do have a pet, paint a picture from the hotline call to how a survivor would get the pet to safety. So just take us through that. Historically, when a survivor calls a a hotline, 95% of the domestic violence agencies across the country have to indicate if they have a pet that they cannot bring their pet. And ultimately, that's why that barrier was created. And 50% of the people would decline taking the next step. But now, when someone calls a 24-hour hotline and it's a, and they have a Bestie B&B account, they can say, can you get to somewhere safe? Is law enforcement involved right now? You can bring your pet to shelter, or we can arrange a safe pickup drop-off location with one of our animal welfare partners. But immediately, first and foremost, is getting to safety, but that pet can also come with them. And we don't dictate processes or procedures for any of our agency partners, but we provide best practice solutions and then workshop uh, ideas with them that meets their needs. So beyond giving them the software, I mean, we're constantly there to help problem solve and create processes and make connections in their community with animal welfare. Because animal welfare would way rather that pet come in just for an hour or two until a bestie B&B pet caregiver can come and pick that pet up than be an owner surrendered. And all of a sudden, all of our animal welfare partners are at capacity and they're just trying to get by on a daily basis with 80 pets coming in a day. In some instances, 35 to 40% of all pets that go into shelter for an animal shelter are owner surrendered because of domestic violence, mental health crises, or housing instabilities. So back to the hotline call, once they talk to their case manager, they can remotely set up a profile for themselves and their pet. That was a feature that Hope House actually recommended and said, we have client services who don't come to shelter. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge moment we identified a gap in the solution right when we first launched. And so we went back to the entire development team and built a solution so we could have all of those release of liability forms and protections signed digitally. We could create those client accounts with the client being remote because the client might have a safe place with a family member, but Hope House can still help place their pet with a Bestie B&B pet caregiver because ultimately sometimes pets can't go with them even to a family member's house. Uh, so in this instance, the hotline call, the pet comes in and then the pet caregiver either comes and picks up the pet at the designated safe pickup drop-off location. If the foster home is an existing volunteer and has signed the waivers and confidentiality agreements to come on site, 
they can come on site and pick up the pet. We just ask that the, the pet owner and the uh, foster home never meet. I think that's the key to that. So, which I appreciate. I guess I wanted to say kudos to you because you did listen to the feedback and really work to make your platform work. So many people think that not just Hope House, but other programs are just shelters and that that's all we do. But there's so much more that we do. And to be able to help people no matter where they're coming into our services is really key because some people never step foot in shelter but can receive a multitude of our services who, as you said, would need the help of a pet caregiver as well. So I appreciate that you were able to adapt and be able to make it be available to all of our clients. Yeah, We wanted to work for our agency partners how they need it to, and, and that's why we never say, here is your new policy and procedure for how to handle veterinary care or policy and procedure for pickup drop-off. We built the platform to be flexible enough to work any way the agency needs it, and we're also available to help build those policies and procedures because it doesn't have to always work in the same way in every instance. There's going to be those 2 a.m. in the morning situation that is different than 11.30 in the morning situation, and we wanted to make sure that it was flexible enough to help that advocate navigate those waters with that survivor and for that survivor and still end up with the same end result as getting that person to safety and getting that pet to safety. When you say pets, specify what type of pet because I know it goes far beyond cats and dogs. Yeah, I mean, it's, we thought for sure the first pet or pets placed through Bestie B&B would, would be a dog or a cat. And it ended up being a group of turtles. Great. And they were, you know, therapy turtles for, for the survivor. Yeah, for sure. And law enforcement got involved and turtles' habitat had been destroyed. And luckily, at that time, the case manager logged into their Bestie B&B account, found a pet caregiver who accepted the turtles, built a new habitat, took care of those turtles until they could be reunited with the survivor. And that was the very first pet place. So we've had cats, dogs, rabbits. Uh, you'll see categories for cute furry rodents, lizards, friends. <laughs> You know, we've met with agencies in very rural areas, and we talk about livestock. And ultimately, if there's a foster home in the community that has the capability to bring that pet or that farm animal in, horses is another big one, um, yeah. the system allows for it. And what's really neat, and back to one of your earlier questions, is you're thinking about something positive after someone's gone through receiving services and had their pet taken care of. You know, a survivor has the opportunity to sign up and create a foster home account. So we have a couple survivors who are signed up now and actively giving back and taking care of the pets of other survivors. They can charge a fee. They can donate their services for free. They keep 100% of any rate they set. So we made it very intentional that it's a, a crime prevention tool, an owner surrender tool, but it's also a job creation tool. Having that cycle come into play is rewarding seeing that because we had hoped that would be the case, but we have individuals who have the ability to sign up and learn about what it takes to foster pets when they log into their secure account while they're receiving services, they can receive training. And that training not only helps future pet owners who are going through crisis, but it also helps educate them on best practice for taking care of their pet, children interacting with pets while in shelter. So there's a lot of valuable attributes built into the software, anyone who, who signed up. Not only are you breaking some barriers down, huge barriers for these survivors, but you're empowering them to be able to move forward. And if they're animal lovers, it's a perfect vocation for them. So how many 
many foster caregivers do you have signed up? It's been a very wonderfully busy time for us since April. We're really intentional about building a blueprint for how this platform can and does work as that hub that Matt described earlier, not only among social services, but between social services and animal welfare. And we really wanted that blueprint to be there so that when we went outside of Kansas City, we could say, here's how it works back home. Now you can go make it your own. And that's really, it's been really well received when we've expanded. So we're in nine states. We're almost with the approaching 30 agencies. So that part has been really wonderful to see that other communities embrace the blueprint that was built here among all of us, among Hope House and Bestie BB and others. And so that ball is, is rolling. That also helps more people that hear about it here as we expand more and more people hear about it. So we're over 40 pet caregivers in the metropolitan now. And the metropolitan has also grown a little bit through our agency partners. So whether you're up north near St. Joe or down south past Harrisonville or Columbia or, or Lawrence or anywhere in between, there's caregivers sprinkled there to really be able to help. But the part that's really exciting is we now have, as of this morning, we had 171 people that were in that pipeline of that five-step process that, that I that I mentioned. So yeah, throughout um, all the states that we're now servicing. And we're always looking for more. I mean, it'd be ideal in a community like Kansas City to have 100 foster homes ready and available. The fact that we're halfway there and just launching over a year ago, we're very excited, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And even if someone can sign up just to take care of a small dog or a cat for 30 days, sometimes that stay could be five days. Some of our longer term stays could be 66 to 90 days, but all of that's completely in control of the foster home. They can indicate on their calendar their availability. We're certainly hoping as we expand and spread the word that we get more foster homes signed up. And that's something that we were intentional about too. We didn't want to have a big pool of pet caregiver foster homes before the agencies were in and incorporating it into their workflows and building their policies and procedures and those sorts of things just because you don't want those people to come in and then not see an immediate need and then potentially fall off. And so that's been very encouraging to see that progress. And also once people realize that their impact really is exponential because if someone comes and applies to be a Bestie b pet caregiver because they heard about us through someone that Hope House puts out if it's through this, they 100% can be there to support survivors and clients of Hope House. But any other agency in the metro, any of the other six domestic violence agencies or the two animal welfare organizations or the three mental health centers, all of those agencies are able to reach out to them as well. And so it really is a whole community pulling together to support all agencies that are helping provide services to our community members and our, our community pets. So if someone's listening and they want to be a caregiver, what, what do they need to do? So they can visit, we have a couple of websites. They can go to bestiebnb.com. They can also go to mybestiebnb.com. So M-Y-B-E-S-T-Y-B-N-B.com. And that provides a lot of information on to preview of what it means to be become a pet caregiver. And then they can start the, the caregiver process straight from there. And it really doesn't take any time. It takes a lot of time on our end to go through and vet those, those individuals because we, like I said, we wanted to make sure that it's the appropriate people in there that we are going through those steps. Usually within a couple of days from the time that they submit their background check, that's when we start going through. And it, depending on where they've lived and how many jurisdictions, you know, it, sometimes they come back within 10 minutes, sometimes they come back within 30 hours. So, but we go through that. If we do have a question or we're always available to for people to, to contact us and ask us questions about the status of their application, if we have a question, we, we can reach out. But it, it really is, they, they go through that five-step process, which for the most part is a lot of telling us what you want to do within the platform. What kind of animals, if you're going to donate your services to a 
agencies or charge a small fee if you will also want to take care of the pets of just a pet parent in the community traveling for a worker vacation. That's mm-hmm. not something that we promoted because we're so hyper-focused on really making sure we're serving our agency partners and, and focusing on the impact we can have there. But someone, if that caregiver decides to check a box to say, sure, I'll take care of uh, someone in the community that's traveling for work, they can set a different rate for that. Again, they keep 100% of the rate that they set. So it, it really is a, it's five steps. It's pretty smooth. A lot of just yes, no type of buttons and questions and then submit that background check and then we take it from there. So you guys just won an award. Tell me about it. We, we did. It, uh, so the Human Animal Bond Research Institute is a group out of Washington, D.C. that awards five categories, uh, awards in five categories on an annual basis. And we were fortunate enough to be selected as their winner for innovation in pet inclusive infrastructure. We had no expectations of receiving any awards, let alone something from a, an institute like that that is so closely mirrors what we're trying to do. We were really honored to be recognized. Didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. They invited us out. There's a, a large conference called Super Zoo that's in Las Vegas every August. Invited us out to a award ceremony that was going to kick off that. And so we shifted gears. And, and then we got there and saw the other award recipients and were a little bit blown away because you know Matt and I are there in our, our best EBNB startup t-shirt so people know who we are. But the folks at Amazon that won for their pet day that they created, which raised a lot of money on sales on a given day for, for pet wellness. Tito's Handmade Vodka won for their pet-friendly workplace initiatives that they're known for, and they didn't have to wear their startup shirts either. So, um, <laughs> so we were there with some folks doing some really important, innovative work just to support pets and, and their people. And so we were just really honored to be recognized on that stage and has led to more introductions to more agencies and more communities. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do is just replicate the impact that we've seen it have, seen the platform have here in our own backyard in other communities. But we do have ambitions of this being in every domestic violence agency in the country because we do care so much about trying to help agencies, whether they can co-shelter or have the ability. It'd be wonderful if every domestic violence agency in the country had their own on-site animal facility and Best EBNB to be able to help manage that portion of their pet program, but then also source the community in those instances where it's needed or is best for the person or the, the pet. You know, just having more tools is what we want. And that's the same for mental health providers. You know, there's a little over 5,000. They provide so many breadth of services and the number of those agencies is only increasing over 22,000 animal welfare organizations, according to the Humane Society of the United States. We want to be in all of those. We just, we want to be another tool for every agency, regardless of whether they're in social services or animal welfare. Because if that agency only uses it one time in one year and it helps one pet stay safe and one person get the help that they need, that's what we want. You know, when you speak it, that means it happens. You spoke it, so there it is. It's out there. It's out there to just manifest There we itself, go. That's so. it. That's all we need. That's the push we needed. If there's a survivor listening and or learns about your program, do they have to be connected with a program, or can they just come directly to you? We'll get weekly emails from pet owners in a crisis situation, whether it's someone in chemo that doesn't have family in town and they don't have the strength to take care of their pet and they need a temporary home, or someone who's fleeing an intimate partner violence scenario. And what we do is we direct them to our agency partners that could specialize in helping them and their pet. So our goal is that no one has to make that decision where they, well, multiple decisions, I either leave my pet behind or I don't seek services or I have to own or surrender my pet. But the goal is that when they call the direct service 
provider. The solution's already there and that's kind of ingrained in their workflow. But we do have a lot of people reaching out to us because so many people have been told no over the years that they just assume any facility that's trying to help them, that wants to help them and they want help from that organization, that they just don't have a plan in place for uh, like a, a temporary boarding, emergency boarding, crisis care, safety net program. Those emails we come in and it's nice and when they don't, what's heartbreaking is when you get an email from someone who's in a state that you haven't launched yet, you know, and you hear stories when you when you hear about like Noah's Ark and someone who's traveled eight or nine states just to get to domestic violence agency or a program that they felt like could also accommodate their pet, where now it's like if we can send someone anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour or somewhere within the state, that's the goal. We're doing some pretty innovative things with the Illinois Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence to try to make the entire state, every domestic violence agency pet friendly, and if we can prove that model, then we can start working with additional state coalitions to really execute that on a state-by-state basis. Yeah, because every state has a coalition helping with that, so I think that's a great goal. We are so fortunate in the Kansas City area collaborating with you. It's really priceless. And I do speaking engagements, and I have a Q&A at the end. Inevitably, people always say, do you take pets? And so I love what you're doing. I can't thank you enough for your time today. So thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks very much for having us. This was a lot of fun. This is great. Thank you.